0: So we are in this series, one anothering, and um, the the, the term one another appears 100 times in the New Testament. It just seems to be everywhere. And so there needs, in my opinion, there needs to be some discussion on it because it seems to be such a significant topic. And there's a lot of one another's, and so, okay, we, we discovered, we put them into four categories, and the first one we talked about last week was love, and then this week is unity, and then humility and encouragement. But the Christian faith is an action faith. So it's not a matter of just believing what the Bible says or reading the teachings of Jesus. It's about what we do with what we know. Because (laughs) just because you may know more than somebody else about Scripture doesn't mean you're a better Christian. It's really a matter of what you put into practice. In fact, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And so just learning more, and I'm all for learning, but learning more, for the sake of learning more, isn't helping anybody else. It just gives you more knowledge. And so I want to be very careful that we understand that the faith that we believe in is a faith that produces action. So if that's the case, so rather than it being love and unity and and humility and encouragement, And just being one another, so we're one another ring. so it becomes an action that we're doing. So loving, unifying, humbling, and encouraging. That's, That's who we're supposed to be becoming. That's what should be the hallmark of who we are as a church. And when I say church, I don't mean Virginia Hills Church. I mean the body of Christ, how we work in and around each other. Unity in the church has always been a major theme, specifically in the New Testament. And it was an issue of the church since the days of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said this towards the end of his ministry. In John chapter 17, if you remember last week we were in John chapters 13 and 14 when Jesus was beginning the Last Supper and he was about to be betrayed and all of that. So here we are a couple chapters later and you can kind of see how much further into that story we are. But in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus said this. He's praying to his father. He says, neither pray I for these alone, the men that were with him. And this is an incredible thing. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Who is that? That's us. So Jesus is praying, God, I'm praying for these men with me right now. But then also, all the people down the road that are going to come to Christ because of the word that they are sharing. So Jesus is praying for us here. And what is his prayer? That they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Additionally, Paul, the largest writer in the New Testament, penned at least 13 books saw unity as a part of the DNA of the church. And he addressed it in almost every single letter that he wrote. He is encouraging church after church to be unified, to come together, to be like-minded, to be there for each other. In Ephesians, he's writing to the church of Ephesus, he says this in chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love and then he says this endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace he goes on in that same passage to stress the oneness that we have all of this commonality that we have he says this there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I love that. And in you all. So he's reminding them that this, all of this oneness is because of who dwells inside of you. And he's trying to tell them, look at all of the commonality that you have. All of this oneness that you should have, I want you to be unified as a church. But I want to take this a different, different route today. Just obviously, I believe we ought to be unified as a church. But I want to make sure that we're not just thinking church. When it comes to unity, how important is it to have unity in every area of our life? Like how important would it be for a husband and wife to be unified? How important would it be for the kids and the mom and dad to be on the same page? How important is it for, for us to be seeing things together? In our family, we call us a team. It's like this is a team effort. We say it all the time. And everybody on the team doesn't have the same position. Right? Sometimes there's quarterbacks. Sometimes there's linemen. Sometimes there's water boys, Right? but well, we all have different but we're all on this team together. We're unified because I want to be there for my family. We are a team. And that's very clear in my family. And we're a team here. But I want to get out of just thinking about unity being a church thing. Unity makes relationships just work better. When husband and wife get on the same page, that's a miracle from heaven. Thank you. <laughs> right? When a husband and wife can get on the same page, that's a working of the Holy Spirit. Because they're coming from different planets. And they're seeing things completely different. But the amount of love and respect and forbearance and graciousness that it takes to create unity in a marriage is a God thing. It doesn't happen just because y'all get along and you kiss good, that helps. But if we're going to have unity in in our relationships, it has to be a God thing. We are called to live in unity one with another. But why? So we're going to dig just a little bit. And I can think of funner topics than unity. But I can't think of more important topics than unity. Unity. So why do we need unity? First of all, there's a threefold reason. There's a there's the purpose of unity is threefold. And there may be a fourth fold that I didn't find. I just know there's at least three of them. First of all, it's, it helps us function properly. When we are unified as a team, whether it's in your family or your relationship with your spouse or as a church or even in a work environment, when you are unified as a team, you just function better and you know what I'm talking about. Like if you're second guessing everything your boss says or if you are, if you are thinking that she has an ulterior motive or she's trying, to, she's trying to get you to do something when you really don't want to do it and she's being manipulative, then that just tears down that unity and you don't function well anymore. You may not understand the importance of unity even within your own body until you no longer have unity within your own body. I was talking with someone this week about Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease is this, it's almost a mystery. But what they do understand about Parkinson's is that it affects your nervous system, which then affects your motor skills and now you're not what your brain is saying is not getting through and your and your body is not acting the way that it's supposed to act and it's unable to function properly what about autoimmune diseases there's over 80 autoimmune diseases what does that mean it means that your body begins to attack itself your immune system begins to recognize things in your own body that are naturally part of who you are but they're attacking them like a foreign substance and so that your autoimmune disease makes a situation to where your immune system responds abnormally to what's happening in your body on a normal basis if that's not a description of disunity in the body i don't know what is in Ephesians chapter 4, the verse that we were just reading, he talks about, if you go on down there reading it, he talks about this body of the church that God has created that is fitted together. In the King James, it says it's fitly formed. It's like, it, it's like it's, it's, it's all, we're all put in this body, and we're all fitted in the right place to function properly. But when somebody gets out of sorts, all of a sudden you're not communicating and things don't work right. And you just don't function properly. So why, why is unity so important? Because it helps us function properly. Not only that, but it's a witness to this world. And I don't know which one of these is more important. It's a witness to this world. I mean, if we only get along with people that are get-alongable, right? If we only get along with people that agree with us, what challenge is that? What's the real challenge and what's the real victory is when there are people who disagree with us that we can be unified in. Not necessarily believing everything they believe, but that we have a commonality in Jesus. We're able to be unified and function like a body. Jesus said this, in verse 21, just kind of rereading what we read earlier, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, and here it is, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And we'll get into this just a little bit further later on, but the idea that the example that has been set for us is the relationship of Jesus Christ and his heavenly Father. That relationship of oneness I'm in you and you're in me and we are unified and we want the church, we want our followers, the people who are to come to be one in us that the world might believe that they're really good people. Know that I'm Jesus, the son of God, that you have sent me. Not just unity, but one with him. More than just agreeing with each other. More than just being a part of the same organization and voting the same direction. But being connected and united with God himself and with his son Jesus Christ for a common purpose. That's a much stronger message that we're sending. Because it's a much more important objective. When we are connected with God and then with each other, the message becomes believable. Like if we bicker and if your relationship with your spouse is no better than anybody else's and God doesn't seem to be doing a work there and there's no unity in your family and you're the gripe gut at work and nobody likes to be around you because you do nothing but point out problems, there's no unity there. You are not in the business of unifying, which is what we're supposed to be doing here on this earth. And if we're not unifying the worlds that we live in, we are not being very Christian in the worlds that we live in. Because Christianity is not about pointing out problems. Christianity is about finding solutions. We're really good at the former, but we really suck at the latter. Jesus is our commonality. And the third reason why I think that that it's important to be unified, the purpose behind it all is to glorify God. And we hear this and we're like, okay, yeah, I know God gets all the glory because we hear it so much. But that's really the reason we do everything we do, is to bring God honor and glory. The ultimate, the ultimate aim of the Christian unity is the glory of God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 15. He says, now the God of patience and consolation. Woo, aren't you glad that he's the God of patience and consolation? Grant you to be like minded, same mind, one toward another according to Jesus to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I love that word received. If you dig down just a little bit what that might have meant when it was written originally in the Koine Greek, it means to take into your own heart. It's more than just welcome to my house. It's like I want you in my life. I'm taking you into my heart. When we receive one another, when we take one another into our heart, the same way Christ received us, that brings God glory because that's unusual. When we receive one another the way we've been received, and when our hearts and minds become like-minded, God gets the glory. So unity is only a good thing, though, right, when we're unified (laughs) for the right reason. All of Germany unified against the Jews. Not the greatest outcome. Herod and Pilate unified in their disdain for Jesus Christ, and he was crucified. So unity does not always mean a good result. Not that I'm trying to mess with your head. I'm trying to get, this is my segue into my, into my next point here. But when Paul and Silas were in jail, and they were unified in praising God, and were set free, and people came to know Christ, that kind of uni, uni, unity is powerful. So my next point here is that the character of our unity has to be truth. We can't just be unified for the sake of unity. Well, you know, Jesus said we're supposed to be like-minded, so I guess we got to, you mean this is okay to do and that's okay? No, we need to be unified in the truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, 13, further on in that chapter written by Paul, to the church at Ephesus, he says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. What a goal. What, a, what an opportunity. This unifying that we're supposed to be doing is supposed to be something that we do with Truth. Paul piles on more verses here about common-mindedness. I'll read to them quickly. Philippians 2, 2. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Philippians 4, 2. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and and it's only one verse. I beseech Iodias, and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Two women in the church bickering. That's about all we know, right? But if you want to dig down a little bit deeper, one of their names means prosperous. Another one names someone who is, their name means someone who requires help. To be helped along is what her name means. And so if you really want to stretch this like I love to do, you could have two women from two different social classes. Or one woman who was really skilled at at being successful in life and somebody else who wasn't. And they're in the same church and obviously they didn't see eye to eye and that's probably carrying it way too far and God's gonna look at me one day and say, that was really stupid. (laughs) But it preaches really good. And the idea that you don't have to be the same to be unified, right? There was some disagreement between Eodius and Syntyche. There was something going on there that caused them to have a falling out to the point where Paul addresses that directly in his letter and he calls them out. Can you imagine? Like this letter is being read to the church, right? And we're just going down. Everybody's like, oh, that's sweet. Oh, that's like. And I beseech you, Odius and Syntyche. Huh? <laughs> Busted. All right, we get it. We need to be nice to each other. That's how important unity was because he saw that disunity between those two women as potentially affecting the whole church. And then Paul said this in Romans chapter chapter 15, verse 5. We read part of this earlier. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Unity is a powerful thing. But let me tell you, when you are unified in Christ, and then you are unified in the truth of Jesus Christ, now you become an incredibly powerful force for good. And that's what we're looking for. Where does all this come from? And this is where we're going to kind of land the plane here a little bit. So we've talked about the character of unity. We've talked about the purpose of unity. And then finally here, we're going to talk about the source of unity. Where does this come from? Like, Eric, how can I do this? I'll give you some practical things in just a minute. But how do I do this? How do I? You don't understand. Have you met my wife? not my wife not my wife I'm just saying like that was rhetorical like you're asking me have you met my wife no I haven't or have you met my husband you don't understand my kids or you never met my boss or whatever how does, how does this where does this unity come from Eric what, how am I supposed to be a unifying agent where I am Philippians chapter 4 verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the what? The spirit. Big S. Little s means your spirit. Big S means the Holy Spirit. So this is the unity of the spirit. Oh, so it's not up to just me to try and be nice to everybody and unify everything. I need to have that mindset, but unity comes from the Holy Spirit. I take that to mean that the Holy Spirit is the giver of unity. You know what? It means we need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. Boom. Holy Spirit, do you have an idea of how a marriage ought to work successfully? Uh, Yeah, I do. Do you have some tips on maybe helping me raise my kid? Yes, absolutely, I do. The Holy Spirit is the source of unity. And the so you know, he's not going to tell you you're right and she's wrong either. We're going to get to this just a little bit, I promise. 1 Corinthians 12, I know a lot of verses, right? 21 verses today, just in case you're counting. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by One Spirit, capital S, are we all baptized into one body? Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. You know what he didn't say there? He didn't say we're divided into Presbyterians and Methodists, and he said we're either Jews or Greeks, bond or free. Those are some big buckets, people. Those are big buckets of people we're in the same bucket okay we're in the same bucket that means we need to get along because we all have one spirit so what is your role how can you create unity in your world how can you be the unifier this is awesome this is really great are you ready for this seek the fullness of the holy spirit I thought it was a lot better than that right? but but think about this think okay seek the if he is the source of unity let's figure out what his mind is on things it's not magical it's spiritual he has a perfect will if you will he's the source and if we walk with him as it says in galatians And allow him to bear fruit in our lives. This is what's so awesome. If we will bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, unity then can grow in the fertile soil, which also produces the fruit of the Spirit. And this is just, don't let this fly over your heads. So the very same Holy Spirit, well, let's just read it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Here's Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Let's take a look at these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Do you think that if you behave that way, you'd be a unifier? Yes. So Holy Spirit, help me to produce this fruit in my life. This is fruit of the Holy Spirit. How do you get that fruit? You don't get that fruit just by working really hard. You get that fruit by walking in the Spirit. A few verses earlier, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what the Bible says. So if we are walking in the Spirit, what does that mean? It means we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We talk with the Holy Spirit. We listen to what he has to say. We seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what's incredible is that the same soil that produces this fruit will miraculously produce unity in your relationships. Can you imagine, husband, if you were long-suffering and gentle and just good? And if you loved well and if you were happy, if you had peace in your home, do you not think that would be a unified home? Oh, my word, yes, And as we walk in the spirit and begin to produce this fruit of the spirit, (laughs) unity happens. I can't be mean because I'm supposed to be a unifier. No, you're supposed to walk in the spirit and produce the fruit of the spirit and then unity happens. Seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Number two, learn to live what Jesus taught. Learn to live what Jesus taught. A couple verses here. We read this one earlier. Ephesians 4.13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Interesting how they got put together there. Unity and the knowledge of the Son of God. And then it says this, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So as we are becoming like Christ As we read the gospels and see how he treated people and what the rules of this new kingdom were, and we begin to put those into practice in our lives. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the truth that we should be living out in our lives. A.W. Tozer said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow and adjust. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive to closer fellowship with each other. So the idea is if we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and we are trying to live out the teachings of Jesus, then unity happens. And then finally this, and we'll finish, love and serve others well. Love and serve others well. I have a whole list that I compiled here of of unity killers. But a quick summary is something like pride, selfishness, gossip, negativity. Those are all unity killers. And all disunity in a church can can be traced back to the simple truth that too often we act selfishly. And we consider ourselves better better than each other. It's amazing how all of those negative and hurtful things disappear when we just love people well and are willing to serve them like Jesus served. I would encourage you to cultivate and serve specifically with people who have differences with you. Humans have never been good at this. Humans like to work with people and serve people and love people who are just like them. But I would encourage you to look for people who are not just like you and love them well and serve them well. Because that's what makes us Christian. Is the ability To allow the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our lives. And we follow the teachings of Christ. And we reach across the aisle, whether it's political or race or religious. And we're willing to reach across the aisle to people who don't believe the same thing that we do. Who are different than we are. And love them well and serve them well. Well, you know, I just don't think we ought to compromise our standards. I don't think you should either but doesn't, doesn't keep you from being a nice person or a Jesus follower. And I think the Holy Spirit's gonna be okay with you showing goodness to somebody. I think he's gonna bless that. Differences are the opportunities that we need to show how incredible God is. I'll say that again. Differences are the opportunities we need to show how incredible our God is. Then when they see that, then they'll know that we are his disciples. But when it's us four and no more and shut the door, that's not producing much fruit of the Spirit. That's not creating unity. And that's, that's not helping anybody. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your desire and, and, the, and the emphasis that you placed on us being unifiers And in our marriage, and in our families at work, and yeah, in our church. I think healthy families produce a healthy church. I think healthy marriages produce healthy families. So let's start there. And I pray, Father, you would just help us to become who you want us to be. As we want another better. In Jesus' name, amen.